Vicky and I, uh, we watched In the Heights the other night. Uh, and I had never seen the musical before, so this is Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda. Uh, and just when he was a sophomore in college, he wrote the musical, which is just incredible. And it went on to Broadway, and now they finally made it into a film. The, uh, uh, the main character is this uh, man by the name of Usnavi. And Usnavi, played by Anthony Ramos, is um, uh, a young man, and he's got these there's a little tool they use, a device that they use in the telling of the story where uh, Usnavi is talking to these four children, and he's telling them. He's telling them about a, 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 a suenito, and a suenito, which in Spanish can mean sleepy or can mean a nap, but it also means a little dream, a suenito. And he said, and he's just telling them the importance about uh, having this dream, having a, a, a dream that you, you have in your life, and he tells them not just the rule or the importance of having one, but he goes back and he tells it in context of a set of relationships. He tells them the importance in the context of being a people together and the importance of having these dreams. Well, it turns out that in our passage we'll use today, there is a rule. In fact, there are two rules that are coming forward to us, but they're told to us in the context of a people in context of relationships, of, of a history and connection. And there's very much a dream. It's not just a little dream. It's God's picture for what he wants his children to be about and, and what he is already at work accomplishing in and through their lives. There's this larger picture, this larger, not just a dream, but God's sure plan in which these rules exist. Now, a little bit of a warning. We're going to take a circuitous route in our, our sermon today, so I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need you to do whatever you can to track, like try and set your radar on wherever we're going, and, and I'll try to keep us up to speed on, on what's taking place next. Uh, eventually, we're going to get to this uh, encouragement that we would um, guard ourselves, that we would guard ourselves, and that's where we'll end up. Let's begin with a few notes about the passage we have before us. This passage, Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, is not the easiest to translate. It's rather, rather difficult. I've mentioned to you one of my high school uh, English teachers, uh, Mrs. Jones, before, but I want to tell you about another one, uh, Miss Hayes. Miss Hayes had the, uh, shall we say, privilege of teaching freshmen about elements of style and grammar and those type of things. And if she had access to the original uh, writing of this text, to, to the Hebrew of this text, she would be marking it up with all kinds of red. She used a lot of red to tell people that grammar and syntax just isn't there. And that's what we find in this passage. In fact, if you take several different translations and put them next to each other, you would find many points of disagreement um, and so this morning, as I went through all the various translations that I could find, I found that it might be best if we use the NIV translation today. Um, and I put them up on the screen, the two, two different, uh, comparing the ESV to the NIV. And so there's the red spots on the uh, left-hand side on the ESV, that those are things I wish the ESV did not translate that way. And I think that the NIV does a better job there's one spot where I think the NIV, I wish I could switch, switch it out for what the ESV does. But all that's to say is, listen, 
even the best of the translators are struggling to make sense of this text. In terms of its grammar and syntax, in terms of its teaching, everybody seems to be in alignment. In fact, there are three main subjects in this passage. Three main subjects. And I'm not sure how well it shows up on the larger screens, but um, the first uh, of this subject is marrying unbelievers. And so that's a, a, just a little portion up toward the top of the passage. The second subject is divorce. And so there's some teaching on divorce. But truly, the whole of the passage is a teaching on covenant faith. Covenant faith. So those three uh, very quickly, easy to cover <laughs> topics, and we'll get through it in no time at all. Um, uh, uh, so in the midst of all this, we have uh, also this telling of a people that keep worshiping God even though they're not obeying God's rules. So that's the context that the people are coming and they're worshiping God uh, and then they need to be called out on marrying unbelievers and being called out on divorce and, and being called out on just their struggle with covenant faith. Now, so before we get to our, our, our actual passage, and I told you it would be a circuitous route. So here's what I want us to do before we get to the passage. Let's take a turn toward the New Testament. And here's why I want us to look at these subjects through the New Testament first. Sometimes I think that we can look at the Old Testament and go, wow, that's so Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. And yet the Old Testament is part of the Bible. It's, it's the majority of the Bible. And this God that was over Old Testament times is the same God that is over New Testament times. And so for us to look at these topics through a New Testament lens, and then we can return to the Old Testament and, and engage it with a, a sense of connection. So when you look at the New Testament, and you bring up the topic of marrying unbelievers, there's this one passage that people tend to turn to it speaks about more than just marriage, all right? It's a broader text, but here's how it reads. This is 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18, and we won't read the whole of the thing. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. It begins like this. Paul's writes, and he goes, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, don't be in a relationship that is connecting you intimately with others if they're not followers of God. Then he goes on to explain by saying, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now, we know that Paul elsewhere will encourage people to be ambassadors in this world, to, to represent the love of Christ, to, to, to share the good news. And in fact, that's what Paul gave his life to, that he would reach out to Gentiles, to unbelievers, and God would use him uh, to help other people know how much God loves them. So it's not a call for people, for Christians to go off and, and form their own little uh, cult and circle the wagons around it and, and just be apart from everybody. That's not what it's saying. But in those relationships where there could be that undermining of our faith and those intimate, uh, deep connections. So maybe for some of us, it would be the employee-employer relationship. And, and if we're going to bind ourselves to a philosophy and a company, and, and we want to be careful that the company is not undermining our connection, our covenant with God. 
It could be with a political party, that we wouldn't want to unite ourselves left or right, that we wouldn't want to unite ourselves so closely with a political party that it would undermine, undermine our, our covenant with God. Um, but people would also take this passage and go, listen, when you're seeking a spouse, and, and we all know anecdotal stories. We all know stories of people that, that um, uh, married, a, they, they were a, a non-Christian, they married a Christian, that God used the Christian to help them come to know what faith was, and praise God for that. Praise God for that. But going forward, what Paul is saying, listen, don't be unequally yoked. Be aware of this. Watch this. Something's going on. When it comes to divorce, we can look at a passage like Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 12. So this is a, a time when the Pharisees are coming to Jesus, and they're trying to trick him, but they ask him a question. They ask him a question they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And the focus in our passages in a patriarchal society was going to be on the man and the man's choice because the, the man in their context had the, the power to do things that um, uh, females did not have as, as much power in their culture. So is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Okay, so they're referring back to the, uh, the covenant of God, the laws of God through Moses. And he says, listen, Moses allowed this. We could write a certificate of divorce. And so Jesus responds, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. All right, so he, he's saying, listen, he, it's because, because of the condition of your heart that there was this exception that was given. But then he goes on to say, um, uh, and he quotes from uh, Genesis, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says that in his own, so they are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Let man not separate. Let humans not separate. Something bigger going on. God is at work in this relationship. Now, it's not as though Jesus doesn't allow an exception. In Matthew's telling of the same story, he has Jesus say uh, that um, there's this exception if there's uh, infidelity. If, if um, one of the spouses commits adultery, then, then divorce is allowed. And he's not the only one to allow an exception. Paul, when Paul is writing to the, uh, the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, we looked at this uh, a while back, but he's saying, listen, if you're a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, and by the way, it's interesting that he says, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you something. He goes, I, this is me telling you it's not from the Lord. I'm not quoting Hebrew scripture. Um, it's my word to you. It's not the Lord's word. And he goes, listen, if you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever is willing to stay married to you, go ahead and stay married. But if the unbeliever separates go ahead and be separated. He makes an exception. So divorce. Jesus goes, listen, it's connected. It's connected to something old and ancient, this whole idea of marriage, and, and that what God puts together, God's involved in it. And yet in this time, there, there's this exception. We're going to come back to that idea of exception. Let's make one more quick look then at something, covenant faith. So we've talked about marrying unbelievers in the New Testament. We've talked about divorce in the New Testament. Let's talk about covenant faith. So many places we could look for. Let's just go to this one. 
Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Again, a passage we've looked at before. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. In Colossians 3, 12, we have these words at the very uh, beginning of the passage where Paul writes, um, uh, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You hear that? God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You are children of the covenant. If you said yes to Jesus Christ, you are that chosen person of God, that, that part of the covenant that God has put around you. And as children of the covenant, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, then put on these things. Do these things. Put on compassion. Put on love. Treat one another well. Do these things because you're part of the covenant faith. At the end of this passage in verse 17, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as God's children, as part of the covenant, now you live that covenant out in all that you do. You represent the one who established the covenant. All right, we've done the New Testament. And hopefully we've heard, he has affirmed, listen, don't be unequally yoked. It's so important. The covenant with God is so important. Don't be in a relationship that would undermine that covenant in your life, that, that relationship with God in your life. And it talks about divorce. And it underscores that, that God sets this relationship up and, and it's so important to him. And yes, in our situations that there are, are these exceptions that the scripture identifies. And that covenant faith, that because we're children of God in this covenant, we live a certain way in this world. All right. With this in mind, let's go to our passage. So our passage is Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Again, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Um, So let's hear the word of God. Have we not uh, all one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign God. As for the man who does this, Whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, 
says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. May God bless the reading of his word and we trust that God's blessing our time together too. Did you hear it? Did you recognize? Did you recognize the themes? Did you hear this stuff about covenants and, and not breaking faith with covenants and the covenant together as God's people? Did you hear the stuff about uh, uh, marrying um, daughters of foreign gods, the, uh, um, uh, marrying unbelievers? Did you hear the piece of divorce? I hate divorce. We're going to unpack this, but before we do, I want to give us a tool that might help us in our understanding of the passage. Two Hebrew words, Haggadah and Halacha. Haggadah and Halacha. Now, these are Hebrew words, and the concepts are really from a much later time. The word Haggadah also applies to a, a book that's used during a Seder meal, but there's, there's a, a school of thought that, that is larger than just that book. Haggadah and Halaha. So here's the difference between these two words. Haggadah refers to something like theory. Halaha would refer to something like practice. It's a difference between character and behavior, between loyalty, which would be allegiance, and fidelity which would be adherence. It's the difference between relationship and rules. Now, even in saying those differences, we have to understand that there's a lot of complexity in these concepts. But what they help us to understand is that there's two ways to look at, at, at God's Word, to approach God's Word, and to understand what God is revealing to us. We know this, that rules without relationship Rules without relationship is simply cold. It's lifeless. It's dead. We don't want rules without a relationship. But relationship without rules is chaotic, undependable, and wild. We know that it's important to have boundaries in relationship, to have rules. In our understanding this year, we have been focusing on, on uh, the whole idea of I belong. And this ties into the Haggadah of what God has revealed, this idea of, of that there's this long story that, that if we want to look at practices, yes, let's do that, but let's do it in the context of what God has told us about the relationship. Rules are important. We need to have the rules, but it's in this context of a belonging, that I belong to God. What is your only comfort in life and death that I belong, body and soul, in life and death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Haggadah. Toward the end of the answer to that first question in the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and in death, we find these words at the very end. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him, to move from Haggadah to Halaha to move into the practice, to take the theory, to take the relationship, and to move toward the rules in the context of the relationship. In our passage, we have rules. Do not marry unbelievers. Do not divorce. 
But from the beginning to the end of the passage, it's, it's said in the context of this covenant relationship. They're not arbitrary. The, the words about the relationship that we see in the passage are, are, are phrases like breaking faith with God or, or breaking faith with the, the wife of your youth, the wife of your marriage covenant. The not bearing godly children. You know, when it says that God wants these marriages so that there would be a godly children, that there would be godly children, the idea of the continuation of the covenant community. And if if a person's going on to to marry someone outside the faith, that, that what happens to that covenant community as it's watered down through the connection with other religions? We also see this idea of relationship when it says God as witness. Was not God a witness in your marriage covenant? That, that God serves as witness. And, and Andrew Hill in his commentary, he, he points out that witness here, this idea of this word witness is more than just a, one who testifies, but it's also an enforcer, a guarantor that God is present in that relationship as we move forward. And so we, our attention's brought back to Genesis 2, 24, that God created them, they would leave father and mother, and the two would become one. In Mark 10, 9, that God, what God has put together, let people not separate. Haggadah. There's a story. God's involved. We also find in verse 2, 14, this whole idea of relationship, that people uh, in the day, and we know that over the centuries, that people would marry uh, be together with a partner for a biological act. They would, they would form a legal contract. Um, that They might do it for uh, uh, economic arrangement. And by the way, that's probably what's taking place behind our passage. That the people of God, we know that there were people brought back from exile, there were people already in the land, there were foreign people in the land as well, people of a different faith. And that the Hebrew men were choosing to let go of the wife of their youth in order to form a new arrangement which would put them in a better economic position given the dynamics of the culture of the time. And what is pointed out here in this passage is, listen, there's something not just biological, not just legal, not just economic. There's a theological significance to the relationship. From God's eyes, it is formed in a covenant. The wife of your youth the word partner or companion is used. And then the, uh, Mal- Malachi says the wife by covenant or the wife by marriage covenant. All that is to underscore this is intimate. This is bonding. This is Haggadah. But then the Bible provides exceptions. We know that. We, we know that the Bible provides exceptions. What do we do with that? If this is such a theological thing, such tied to the, God's, the, God create, the creator God who gives us this thing, why are there exceptions? We've talked about this concept before, that it's the already and the not yet. God has more than a suenito, a little dream. God has an eternal ideal, an eternal reality. Not just an ideal. Sometimes we hear the word ideal and go, yeah, but who, who really can live in ideal? We live in reality. But in God's reality, there is this picture of marriage. And we live in the already where God has already started that. That new heaven, a new earth, that he's already begun that in Jesus Christ. And one day he will 
come back and make all things new. It's already. And yet we live in this time that is not yet. Where we're broken and sinful and we struggle and we hurt one another and we do vile things. And in this time, in this already not yet time, uh, there have been these exceptions. But we need to be careful. I know I have a tendency. I think we as a people have a tendency that then we just go, okay, well, in freedom, just do as you want. It's the, all, it's the already yes, but it's the not yet, and so I get to make up my own rules. But in a covenant, in the Haggadah, we understand that God has a passion for marriage. Not everybody has to be married. Absolutely. That people are in singleness and whole in singleness and God loves people that are in singleness and uses them for his glory and all kinds of, they're part of the covenant. So there's no need to get married. But if one is married, God has a passion for marriage. So what if you are divorced? By the way, I stand before you as one who's had a lot of divorce in his uh, own family of origin. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. But if we understand that God so cares about marriage that it is something that he would even come out and say, I hate divorce. Then as his children, part of that covenant, then we come to the position of grieving, of having sorrow, of of lamenting when marriages break apart. And not in a, in a fake way, not in a, say, trying to drum up some kind of feeling so that we look good. God knows our heart. And to know that something God treasures not succeeding, that that would cause us to grieve. All this leads to this practice of how do we overcome the apathy that would lead to us taking positions in this world that would undermine our relationship with God. And the passage tells us in 15 and in 16, guard yourself. Take heed and do not be faithless. Do not deal treacherously. And so let me just say a couple of things on on how to guard ourselves. How to guard ourselves. And then we'll finish up. These are things that are not fancy. We've talked about them before. But the guarding of ourselves is of huge importance. This is not casual to God. The first is this. Let's ground ourselves in our covenant relationship with God. I belong to Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you you can say that. I belong to Jesus. This matters. And so we we ground ourselves in that relationship. We practice things like silence and solitude and study and prayer and reflection and and meditation and repentance and dependence. And and every day we're looking at how do I ground myself in that covenant relationship. It's not just about rules keeping. It's about that relationship, that covenant I have with God. And so I look for every opportunity. How do I ground myself in that covenant relationship? The second thing we do is we ground ourselves in the community of covenant partners. What the people were doing is they were breaking community with each other, with the forefathers. They were breaking community with the next generation. They were breaking community with their spouse. 
instead ground ourselves in the community of covenant partners. I belong. If I belong to Jesus, I belong to his people. I belong to his church. Not casually, but intentionally. So I look to the children of the church, and, and, and I own, I, 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 I want to participate in their discipleship. I want to participate in the spiritual formation of the youth. I want to stir one another on to love and good works in order to encourage loyalty or allegiance and fidelity or adherence. The third thing we do is we ground ourselves in God's mission. To belong to Jesus is to belong to his mission in this world. What it does is it takes our eyes off just ourselves. My marriage stands not just as something for me to enjoy, but it stands as part of the covenant relationship I have with the rest of the believers. And then it also stands as a light to the nations. And I take my eyes off just my life and I look, how does this life represent God's love in this world? We are not the end users. Our faithfulness is intended to also be a witness. We began just by mentioning Usnavi from In the Heights. And he told the story. He connected the people to this. He connected those four children to the story of their people. To have a dream. Here's a rule. The great thing in life is to have a dream to step into it. But you need to know the story as to why that matters. And let me tell you the story. And God says, listen, I have a way for you to live, but it matters. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story. I'm the creator of all things. And I formed you. I formed you for, for my own pleasure and for, for being my witnesses in this world. And I want you to have this relationship with me. And it's in this relationship then we go forward. People who guard themselves. Because that relationship matters more than anything else. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the revelation that comes through Malachi. God, you know each of our situations and our marriages and our divorce history and our thoughts about marriage, our friendships with people that are getting married, our friendships with people uh, who have been through divorce, and all these different things. God, help us to represent you and your love in this world. May we not be so consumed with our own situation that we forget the story of being your people, the covenant relationship we have with you and with each other and with your mission in this world. To you be all the glory. We pray these very things in Christ's name.